powerful, powerful. Thank you, Hannah, John. So, I don't know, sometime this week, midweek, I think, Cassidy and Tony and I are, are talking. And those of you who don't know, Cassidy's my daughter, Tony, my wife, and, and we're talking. And, and Cassidy started laughing. I don't remember wh- how we got on this topic, but she, uh, she started talking and remembering a story from years ago when um, her mother took my car that had been parked out front in the house at the parsonage and drove it around the back to hide it so that I would think the car had been stolen, <laughs> which is exactly what happened. I remember, well, I, I, let me back that up. I came out, saw the car was not there. Can you see the car not there? Um, didn't see the car there and ran inside worried, telling Tony we needed to call the police. The car had been stolen, at which case she started laughing, at which case Cassie started laughing. Ha-ha, joke's on me, and you know how mean my family is now. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. As they're telling the story, Cassidy's laughing about it, Tony's laughing about it, and I'm sitting there stone-faced. And here's why. It wasn't because the story bothered me. I didn't remember it. I was like, that didn't happen. They're like, yes, it did. And they're recounting the events. I didn't remember, at least not initially. As we started talking about it a little bit more, the memory started coming back to me. But I had completely forgotten all about it. And if you'd have said to me a week ago, has your wife ever hidden the car to make you think it was stolen? I'd have told you no, because I didn't remember the story. And that bothers me a lot. Uh, I know that's what everybody said. They said, well, it's only the beginning. I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. But it just, I realize that some people have really good memories. My father has a great memory. My son has a great memory. I don't. I forget things way too easy. And, and I was kind of laughing, Brad, as you were praying, and you kind of talked about that ride you've been on, you know. Uh, I think your language was run it in the ground a few times. Um, but I was thinking about there's, there's too much of the, the ride of, of my own life that, that, that has kind of faded over the years. And, and, and I, so I have to be intentional about the practices of, of remembering. We have a joke, Ryan and I kind of have a running gag because a few years ago, we, I came across a study, and I'm sure I'm not getting it perfectly right in all its detail, but the, the study basically said that when you recall a memory, something from your past, an experience that you've had, that when you tell the events, let's just say you, you talk about something that happened when you were a child or maybe in high school, that you're actually not remembering the events themselves. You are remembering, you're pulling from the memory of the last time you had that memory. You're pulling from the last time you recounted that. So, so that's why stories tend to take on a life of their own over the years. The, the proverbial fish stories, you know, it goes from this size to this size to this size. Or while two people can share an experience and have very different accounts of it. It's not because people are trying to be deceptive, but over time, you know, the practice of retelling a story or retelling a memory, it starts to take on some new details that you would absolutely be convinced is, is 100% accurate. You ever, you ever told a story and then had a video or, or, seen, or, or maybe told a scene from a movie that you remember and then you see the movie again years, years later and you're like, gosh, that's not the way I remember it. 
because it's not the way you remember it. And so we have this, this gag every time Ryan and I will say to each other, I'm like, Ryan, do you remember that time this happened as a kid? And, and he'll be like, yeah. And I'll be like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't remember that. You remember the memory of it. And that's our back and forth thing. But, but, the, but the value, the, the point I'm, that I was reflecting upon is the value of retelling story. I think part of the reason sometimes things don't stick with me is because I don't reflect on them enough. I don't retell the story. And, and that's the value of memory or the importance of, one of the importance of memory is intentional reflection, intentional times to remember parts of our story, parts of our experience, part of our collective identity. And, and that's certainly what Memorial Day is about. That is, that is certainly the heart of Memorial is an intentional time that has been set aside for us to remember not just for an extra day on the weekend, but for us to remember and to be thankful, not necessarily, it may not be our story, but for the stories of men and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice, who have laid down their lives so that we can enjoy the protections and freedoms that, that too often some of us, me, take for granted. It's the need for intentional and, and, and ritual or regular memory. Now, I don't know if how many of you know the backstory behind uh, Memorial Day, but it, it traces, I mean, it was initially uh, a, a, a practice of Civil War remembrance for, the, for the, the, the thousands upon thousands that died in, in the war between the states. And the early, it's interesting if you go and look for history, you'll find different accounts. The, the earliest agreed upon recognition of the, the, the act of remembrance was in 1868, 20,000 um, soldiers that had been buried at Arlington National Cemetery, or what we now know as Arlington National Cemetery. James Garfield, General James Garfield at the time, gave a speech, I think, um, 5,000 people had gathered, and it was a time of intentional reflection and in um, beautifying the graves. But, but some historians say it actually goes back a couple years earlier. 1866 was in, right in the aftermath of the Civil War in Columbus, Mississippi, when widows and mothers um, went to the gravesides there with Union and Confederate soldiers and beautified the gravestones. And, and they, in fact, you, if you saw the slide, this kind of gave it away because there was a, a trivia question, or at least a, a fun fact that John puts up there. But do you know what Memorial Day was originally called? Some of you, I've heard some of you, it's Decoration Day. It was Decoration Day because you decorated the, 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 the gravestones of the, of the fallen soldiers. Do you know why it's celebrated in May? Because that's when flowers bloom. That's when the flowers bloom. It's not around a, a, a battle, or it's because it's when the flowers bloom. And so it was, and it was a state, rec, you know, states did it differently. It was, it was often recognized on May 30th. And then in, eight, in 1968, it was put into law to become a, a national holiday, became an official national holiday in 1971, and they moved it to the last Monday of the month so that we could have a three-day weekend. Um, which is okay, that's good, we celebrate that, but it's more than just that. But it is, it is the importance of remember, because there's some things we can't afford to forget. They're too important for us to forget, so it is an intentional act of memory, and we have to instill that generation to generation. 
There was a, one of those interviews that sometimes goes around and they were interviewing uh, a kid that was out putting, putting um, like flags on gravestones at a, at a cemetery and they asked him, it was around Memorial Day, and they said, do you know why you do this? And he said, yeah, for service hours. <laughs> and, and I'm not degrading the kid, but I'm saying it, it's important and it would be important for him and for any kid to know, yes, you're getting service hours, but, but this is more significant than that. Memory matters, a national, uh, an identity that we share around the memory and the recognition and the gratitude for these men and women and for their sacrifice. That's the heart of Memorial Day. That's important. It should be important to us. But certainly the importance of memory and intentional and ritualistic remembering uh, goes much further than the history of our country. And it's very much ingrained in our faith. It's very much ingrained in the practices of who we are as followers of Jesus. And that goes back to the, to the foundation which we f- of, of, of faith and, and of God's work in the lives of, of the people that he's called uh, that we find in, in the, uh, what we call the Old Testament. And so I want to turn to Deuteronomy 26 as we begin to talk a little bit about memory this morning. Beginning at verse 1 again, Deuteronomy 26. Now remember, just to set the scene, Deuteronomy, Moses' farewell speech. And the, the people of, of the Hebrew children, the people of Israel, are about to enter into the promised land, to become the people of Israel. Uh, and so they're about to receive this promise that God has given that they've wandered for 40 years because of their own disobedience to receive. They've waited for So this is kind of, they're on the the doorstep of that, if you will. This is what we read. It says, when you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God. Do you see the theme? They're constantly being reminded who the Lord is, the Lord your God. This is what will be declared. My father was a wandering Armenian, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, rejecting us to harsh, or subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. 
Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you have commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. Brothers and sisters, we pray here as we read God's word, God would bless this reading and our hearing. Let us pray. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you'd speak your, your truth to us through your Holy Spirit, speak into our lives, and, and may these words and these moments of worship be pleasing to you, and may it build us up in the faith that we're called, the faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray, amen. So here in Deuteronomy 26, what is, what is often called one of the early creeds or creedal affirmations of the church, you have this ritual pr- practice of bringing the first fruits and, and bringing the tithe to the, to the Lord and bringing it uh, to the priest and to the representatives of God. And so you have this, this act of worship that's, that's really being described and being embedded in the practices of, of the people of God. But involved in that is this intentional act of memory, of remembering. It is memorial. Because they're instructed that when they bring the tithe, they bring the offering, they remember their story. And that's what those verses in 26, beginning about verse 5, begin to do. It's a recount of the story. Their story, the story of their people. It says, my father was a wandering Arminian or Aramean, which was Joseph. They're talking about Joseph, who, if you remember that story in, in Genesis, Joseph, who's sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up down in Egypt, becomes um, imprisoned, becomes kind of a servant of the Pharaoh, wins favor, rises to prominence, becomes very important in Egypt. The people, I mean, his family, you know, he brings the rest of the family down. There's that wonderful story of the reuniting with his brothers and forgiveness and God's purpose. It's, a, it's a, just a great, a, 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 a great narrative there in Genesis. But they're recounting that. That's what they're doing. And then how their people were forgotten about that, that that relationship with the Egyptians was, was forgotten. The importance of the people were forgotten as they rose in, in numbers and in, in prominence, only to then become subject to, to slavery and forced labor. And that's the story that gives birth to the arrival of Moses on the scene. And God's hearing the cries of his people and sending a deliverer to lead them out of slavery, lead them out of bondage into this journey that leads them to the place where they are right now in this portion of Deuteronomy, which is to step into this promised land, to receive this inheritance. But, but what God wants to make very clear is don't forget your story. Don't forget who you are. And that's a repetitive theme in the scriptures. Another text I looked at uh, possibly using this morning was, Genesis, or was Joshua chapter 4. When the people cross over the Jordan, God slows the banks, of the, the flow of water, the river, kind of like God had done uh, when they fled from, from Egypt. And the people cross over. And the God instructs them that when, when you have crossed over, take 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel, and build a, if you will, a monument, a memorial. So that when your children see it, and this is important, when your children see it, they will ask you, what's that for? And you tell them the story. 
You remind them the story. You recount the memory of what God has done. The importance of memorial. It is ingrained in us. It's part of our Christian faith. Every time that we celebrate communion, as we will in a few minutes, we take the bread and we recount Jesus. We remember Jesus' words. Remember me. Every time you eat of this, do it in remembrance of me. It is the heartbeat because our memory shapes who we are and it reminds us of our story and it reminds us of God's promise and it reminds us of God's presence. It is really important in understanding who we are. The sociologist and evangelist teacher, uh, Tony Campolo, some of you may be familiar with, with Tony Campolo. Tony uh, teaches at, I believe it's Eastern um, I don't know if it's college or university. He teaches up in Pennsylvania. And uh, he often will be asked by students if he will officiate their weddings. And he has a, as an interesting requirement. He, he says he will. But they have to use the traditional wedding vows. The, the common wedding vows might be a, a better way to put it. Probably the wedding, same wedding vows many of us used in, in, our, in our marriages. But he doesn't allow the, the couple to write their own, basically which is a little outside the norm. A lot of us, I allow couples to, to write their own vows as long as they fit within the parameters of, of appropriate and faith-based promises and commitments to each other. But he doesn't. And it's his reason for it that I found fascinating. He doesn't because he wants those vows to be familiar to the other couples that are in attendance at the wedding. He wants for other couples who are attending the wedding of the couple who he's marrying to remember their vows as they're celebrating the vows that these two people are making to each other. He wants it to be a time of recommitment. So he wants the familiarity. He wants most people out there to go, oh, those were the same vows we used. And use it as a time of remembering their own story and their own promises to each other. And so memory becomes important because it reminds us of, of our identity. It reminds us of, of the experiences that have shaped who we are. They're not always positive experiences, but they're the experiences that have shaped who we are. And they're probably more important to us than we often reflect upon. Charles Dickens wrote a short story called a Tale of a Chemist. I had never heard of the story. I don't know if any of you ever, ever have. But it is the story about a, a chemist who has some very, very painful memories in his past, which a lot of us, can, a lot of you and, and me can identify with. And he wanted to be rid of those painful memories. So he undergoes shock treatment so he will forget his past, which he does. But it becomes very, very painful for him because in for losing his past, he lost an understanding of who he was. In losing his past, he lost his identity. And the rest of the story becomes about his pursuit to get his memories back. Because he knows without his memories, he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his relationships. He doesn't know his experiences. He doesn't know the stories that shaped his life. And so he hungers desperately to get his memories back, even the painful ones, because they remind him of who he is. There's a modern-day version of that, or there's tons of them, but if you like modern um, kind of action movies, the whole Bourne identity, the Jason Bourne series, if you, if you watch those movies, same kind of thing. A man who is trying to get his memory back to remember who he is because that 
really matters to us. It's important for us to remember our story because it, it shapes who we are. We look backwards because it reminds us of how we've been shaped and, and who we are. Fred Craddock, a famous preacher that a lot of uh, preachers and I've quoted from many times, but he tells the story of a, of a colleague and friend who was a professor out in California. Um, uh, Mama, Mama Now was the, the um, professor's last name. I don't remember his first. But he was Native American. And he tells the story of as a boy. He was a Kiwa. Kiowa. And he tells the story of a, as a boy, as his father waking him up early one morning and taking him into the village and taking him to the home of um, one of the, what we consider a tribal elder, a woman in the, in the tribe and of the people. And he spent the day with her. And throughout the day, what she did is she told him the stories of their people. She told them the stories of their, their traditions and, and how they came to be and of their, their, um, their foundation and identity in the, the Yellowstone area and how then they, would, they had some of the challenges they faced over the years and then certainly their, their, their um, uh, conflict with the Europeans that came in to the, onto the continent. And, and some of the illness that was born by that interaction and how they eventually were forced to migrate into the Kansas area and the challenges and the difficulties the people have faced. She told them the story. And he said, when I left that night, I was a Kiowa Indian. That's what he said. When I left that night, I was a Kiowa Indian. All of a sudden, he recognized that in the stories, and knowing the stories of not just his past, but the, the identity of the people who I, he identified with, he was a different person. And that is important for us. We do it nationally. We do it individually. You have stories. You have part of your past or stories that you, don't, you didn't personally experience. But it has shaped who you are. In fact, Fred Craddock says that those who can only remember their story from the time of their birth, who have no stories from before they were born, he says they are truly orphans. Because you have story that has shaped you before you stepped into this world. I do. I started to reflect on some of my story that wasn't my experience. A great-grandmother who was a devout Catholic until the day she died, every day that she was able would walk to Mass to worship every single day. That's part of my story. Part of my story is the, 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 not the conversion, but the, the transition, if you will, of her son from Catholicism to Methodism. Much to her grief as a very devout Catholic, I don't know that she ever got over the fact that her son left the Catholic faith to become a Protestant. But that's part of my story. That's my mother's dad. Or my father's story. When as a young man in the Navy stationed at Cape Canaveral was invited by a group of Baptists to their fellowship, um, young adult group, and he didn't want to go. So he did what he could to get out of it. He told them, no, I can't go. I'm Methodist. Because he'd been to a Methodist church like once. And he'll tell you the story. So I'm not telling on him. And so they, they called his bluff. They said, fine, we'll drop you off at the Methodist church on the way to the Baptist church. And so they did. 
So they did. I think it was First United Methodist Church at Cocoa Beach and a young stationed uh, Navy, Navy man walked into First United Methodist Church really just to hide from the Baptists. <laughs> and I say that with love, but he walked into that church and some other young adults saw him and they connected with him. And they invited him to a young adult fellowship group that he did go to, where he would give his life to Jesus. And he would hear the call to ministry, and he would eventually become a lay witness mission. If those of you, some of, some of the older um, Methodists remember the, the lay witness missions, and would one day go on a lay witness mission to a church in Winter Park, Florida, where he would meet a young redhead that would become his wife, that is my mom. Those stories are my story. They're not my experience, but they're my story. And it's important that I know them. It's important that I remember them because it shapes who I am and the lives of those two people that were shaped by the generations ahead of them that have impacted me. We do that collectively and as a country. We do it individually with our stories. And most importantly, we do it as men and women of faith and as followers of Christ because our faith is built upon remembering what God has done. Because when we remember the power and presence of God that has been revealed in Jesus Christ, we position ourselves to experience the power and presence of Jesus Christ. We remember our promises. We remember our experiences because it roots us in our faith and those experiences of our faith. And we're all shaped differently. I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. In fact, in the first service, um, Mike Hunter and Sharon were sitting here in the front row, and many of you probably don't know Mike and, and Sharon because they're, they're faithful 815 people, but, but, but Mike's wife, Sharon, has um, Alzheimer's. And so he brings her to worship every day, and she sits right here every Sunday. And, um, and I was thinking about this, and, and my experience is so often with, with a disease that robs us of memory. But, but I remember, and I was thinking about that as I was looking at her. I remember years ago, I used to do regular worship service on a rotation basis at a, um, at a nursing home, with, often with people that would come down from the Alzheimer's and, and dementia units who didn't remember their family, wouldn't remember anybody else that was there. But when we'd start to sing the hymns, they knew the words. When we'd do the Lord's Prayer, they could recite the prayer because it was a deeply entrenched memory that had become a part of their identity, a part of their story. It was powerful to see them remember and be so powerfully impacted by this recounting of the faith that had been instilled upon them probably from the time they were born. We look backwards because our memories and our stories and our experiences are profoundly impactful in shaping who we are and remembering God's work in the lives of his people. But this is why that also matters because it propels us forward into faith. We don't look backwards. We're not a museum. We don't come to church just to remember what God has done and, and to look at the pretty pictures and sing the songs and go, yeah, that was nice. I'm so glad God did that then. We remember the past so that we propel into our future, into the service for which we're called, to continue to be part of the story so that one day, I pray generations down the road, people may tell stories of any of us because of our faithfulness 
because our willingness to continue to trust in the God who is present in the lives of his people, the people of Israel, a God who is present, present in the story of the people of Israel, that, that showed up and certainly came incarnate in Jesus Christ and that showed up in the lives of those who would be followers of Jesus. We're part of that story. We continue that. So we move forward in faith. And our foundation, our center, is Jesus. pastor was telling the story about his brother who uh, was learning to play piano. And he practiced every day on a Wurlitzer. And what was significant about the Wurlitzer was that the middle C on the piano was right underneath the W. And so everything he learned and every finger position he learned for the songs that he'd memorized was based on knowing where the middle C was. Day came for his first recital. And he walked out on stage and he sat down at the piano and it was the first time he realized that he was playing on a Yamaha. (laughs) And he couldn't find the middle C. And he panicked and he just sat there frozen. And his teacher finally realized what was going on and just walked over and positioned his hands and centered him at the middle C. And once he knew what the middle C was, the music came. And sisters, for us, the middle C is Christ. The foundational C is Christ. It is Christ who redeems. Because see, here's the thing. Not all our memories are positive. I I talk about memory as always it's a good thing. It's not always a good thing. There are very painful memories part of our story. God redeems that. Peter had painful memories part of his story. He would never forget that he denied Jesus three times. God not only forgave but redeemed. And the Peter who denied became the Peter who would proclaim. But that memory was important, as painful as it was. You and I have painful memories in our past, but they're still important. They still matter. They still shaped us. And God redeems those things and brings value and purpose in the midst of those things. Christ is our middle C, our foundational point that redeems and is at work in our lives to move us forward in faith so as we remember the past, we participate in the future that we're called into. That's what Deuteronomy was about. It wasn't just about them remembering. They were coming into a land. They were called as, as you say, to take care not only of the Levites, the religious workers, but to care for the fatherless and the widows and basically to feed the hungry. That's what that means. Nobody gets to go hungry here. We take care of each other. We're called to faithfulness. And so you need to remember your story so you'll continue to live out the faithfulness for which you've been called. That's our call, to remember the faithfulness for which we've called, to look backwards so we will face forward and move forward and march into the future that God's called us to. So remember, remember your story, but let us remember our story and then Move centered on Christ into the ministry and the life and the love that he has called us to. Face backwards so we can move forwards. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we thank you that we're invited to be part of this story that, that began when you created man and woman in your image. And our story does sometimes go sideways, and our story does sometimes go off the rails in in ways that we wish it didn't, but you redeem that. And our story isn't just about us, but it's what you've done through your people, generation to generation. We're called to be a part of that. We give you thanks for that invitation, and we pray we'd live into that, remembering what you've done and mindful of what you will continue to do 
among those who are faithful. Make us faithful. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.